The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Intuitive Connection, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello and welcome to another episode of Intuitive Connection. Today I have with me another really cool and exciting guest, Ellen Albertson. Ellen is a Reiki master, psychologist, registered dietitian, natural board certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher. She's known as the midlife whisperer, and she helps busy, successful professional women change their trajectory so they can experience joy, confidence, and radiant health on a daily basis basis. Ellen, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so awesome to be here. I love your show. I was listening to it. I love the last couple of days in preparation to talking with you and you're just doing such cool things in the world. So oh, I'm very excited so to much. share today and connect with you. Likewise, Ellen is very active on Facebook. And so I've enjoyed a lot of your lives on Facebook and a lot of your teachings. So I'm glad we finally have this time to get together and connect. I invited Ellen today because I love that idea of midlife whisperer. When does midlife technically start? Well, I mean, I think technically, if you look it up in Google, it's like the wrong side of 40, which I hate this idea that the wrong side of 40. I think it's the right side (laughs) of 40, but something kind of happens around 40. It's very interesting. And I'm very interested in aging. And so living things have kind of an expiration date of shelf life. So if you think about having some beautiful roses, you know, they're gorgeous and then they start to wilt. So there's something that happens at 40 where unless we are really working on ourselves, preserving ourselves, working on ourselves and ourselves, we start to go downhill and people start feeling it in their bodies, especially women worrying about menopause. And so I feel there is something around that in 40, although, you know, time is just numbers. I think that the crux of midlife is this idea that there is less time in front of you than behind you. And now it might not be 40, it might be more like your mid fifties. I'm hoping to make it to hundred myself, but I would say it really starts. People start thinking about that, particularly women in your forties. So I have a question, right? I completely agree with you that there's a point that we all come to. I've seen it for myself and I've seen it for clients, you know, I feel like it's the wisdom point. That point when you have been on the earth a certain amount of time and you recognize the scale is tipped and looking forward is looking smaller than looking behind. I'm thinking of a client, for example, who said to me, she was thinking about leaving her husband and it took her a few years. And she said, you know, it hit around her 60th birthday where she realized like I'm 60 now, right? So I'm looking ahead. Maybe I've got 20, 25 years, you know, maybe more. And I got to do me now, right? I've been in this relationship since I was in my 20s, 30s. It was the kind of relationship, I don't want to overshare her story, but it was the kind of relationship where she felt like, you know, I can't make my own decisions. I can't do my things. And she said something to me that was so poignant. She's like, I know of this phase in my life, if I don't do it, if I don't take the risk, I'll regret that more than taking that step. And I feel like those kind of moments, but you'll tell me what you think are so much more common when we get to the other side of 40. And before, 
before I let you answer that question, I also want to say, I haven't felt that it's been downhill at all. For me, hitting 40 is like a rocket ship going up to the heavens. And I'm so grateful, you know, I'm every day gets better for me. So I want to put that out there for listeners. It is not a slide down to oblivion. That's just silliness. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. But there is something in part of my mission. My mission is to help as many women love and prioritize themselves and be their true authentic self and connect with their intuitive knowing. But there is this idea out there that midlife is this crisis. You know, you look at the media and they don't show women at midlife. We don't always have strong midlife characters, you know, actresses, except for Meryl Streep, of course, you know, kind of lose their roles. And there really is the balance seems to be against us. And then there is also this whole thing around menopause. I've been through it. I lived, you know, I got the souvenir. It can be such a powerful time of transformation. For me, midlife is all about like what you were saying is you take a stock, you know, you're up on the mountain, you're looking at your life and you're going, okay, I like this. I like this. I don't like this. This needs to change. I want to be the friggin' butterfly. And so what's this chrysalis cocoon phase where you start to sort of question, who am I? What am I doing here? How did I get off track? And so I think, as you know, what you were saying, midlife can be this really powerful time where you wake up a bit. I think we're always in these stages of learning more, waking up more, but there is this point, this time of midlife where it's really common to actually start to analyze, look at your life, see where you are with your, your, your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and make some determinations about what needs to change. Like my own situation, similar to your clients, you know, I was in a 25 year marriage. We were literally celebrity chefs in the nineties. We were known as the cooking couple and my marriage looked great on the outside, but I was really miserable inside. And I knew that I needed to change my trajectory. It was very hard. I knew that I would never have that family unit again. There was love there. There was a lot of positive things, but I just didn't want to be with this person for my next Saturn return. So I'm just about a couple of days away from my third ah. Saturn return, which is super exciting. Happy birthday. That happy Saturn return. I know, but <laughs> you know, so there are these periods where we pause and we question. And what I liken it to is, you know, we're often climbing up this ladder of success, maybe clawing up the ladder of success, but it's up against the wrong building. And at midlife, maybe that was your client. You know, you look at this and you go, well, I have everything I thought I was supposed to have to be happy. And why am I not happy? Because it's someone else's story that I'm living. Like maybe society, my parents, you know, you're a psychologist, you know, most of our decisions and stories are made before we're 10 years old. So we're still leaning into this old stuff and it just doesn't feel authentic and true. So we have this golden opportunity to say, okay, I've still got, like you said, 25, 30 years ahead of me. What transition do I want to make? How do I want to change my trajectory? So my next chapter can really be awesome. Yeah, no, I love that. And you know, you're reminding me that when my kids were young, I was in New York City. And although I was 29 years old when I had my first, I wasn't a baby by any means. I was the youngest mom in my daughter's class. And most of the moms actually were women who had already had careers and they had their kids in their forties. They left their careers, you know, to do the mom thing. But the reason I'm bringing this up is what I remember is that's when I fell in love with women in their forties, because I really had the sense like these women, they know who they are. Like they're done trying to like pretend and strive, like they're comfortable in their skin. And I really looked up to that. And I think when I crossed that corner myself, you know, over the 40 year mark, like I really feel like I was primed for that. 
that. I was primed for this idea. Okay. Now you get to be your authentic self. And now you don't have to worry so much like, oh my God, you spent 40 years doing what everyone else wanted you to do. Now you get to do you. And I feel that even more as I move through menopause, right? Which I think is an amazing rite of passage, not digging the hot flashes. I want to hear what you think about this. I feel like it's so like medical and the same way with like pregnancy where it's considered a problem, right? It's an issue. I mean, pregnancy, right? Women's bodies, if we so choose, we create life, right? That's magic sauce. That's not like illness. That's not pathology. And I feel like menopause is kind of the same thing. It's where my body says, all right, I don't have to do that mom thing anymore. We're good with that. Now we're going to go into that wise woman stage. And so far I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm glad that you say that too, because I talk to women all the time and they're scared. Like it's the big C, but the big M is totally normal. And I'm really digging not, you know, mom, not menstruating, not worrying about pregnancy. For me, it was pretty gentle. And what I want to say, if you're listening, I think so much of it is having that wisdom and seeing this is a normal transition and what's on the other side is really, really awesome. And also that a lot of the things that you are going through aren't because of menopause. So a lot of times when women are, you know, gaining weight, being moody, not feeling good, it's because they're not taking care of themselves. So if you're listening, if you're in that place, the better you take care of yourself. So the more whole foods, plant-based you are, doesn't mean you have to go completely vegan. The more you're eating right, getting sleep, dealing with your stress, connecting with your feelings, because it is a sort of floodgate opens up and you do feel more emotional. You do connect more with yourself and also making sure you're sleeping, making sure you're getting your needs met, maybe getting this place where, gee, I'm not going to put everybody else first. I put myself first and see how much more apt I am able to take care of everyone else. So it sort of does put a little bit of a monkey wrench in your life, which gives you pause to say, gee, I need to take better care of myself. What do I see a lot of women doing is they're still on the hamster wheel, right? right? Taking care of really heavy work schedules, taking care of kids, taking care of aging parents. It's another thing at midlife. We've got teenage kids and aging parents. So right. we're caught in a sandwich generation. So it's a time where we need to slow down, take care of ourselves instead of trying to like, you know, be more of a human doing like you're a human right. being, not a human doing yes, and I slow love that it down. Expression. And, you know, for those of you listeners too, that are, you know, not quite at the midlife point, or maybe you are still in your twenties, you can start taking care of yourself right now. You do not have to wait, right? You can look at us sisters on the other side of that transition and you can say, Hey, that's so cool. Let me start doing that now because self-care is so important. And the other thing is. Yeah. And the other thing that comes to mind when you talk and and before we got on the call, we were chatting a little bit about the law of attraction and that idea that, you know, we attract into our life what we put out. There's so much misinformation and beliefs around what menopause has to look like. And, you know, our beliefs create our reality. So you get to choose what you want to participate in and what you don't. Meaning, you know, if you are like me, who from your entire life heard from everybody about what was going to happen and how you're going to gain weight, you know, you can start to pick and choose what you want to bring into your DNA. And, you know, whatever you're experiencing is fine. But, you know, the way that I look at it is I try not to double down on the negative stuff, right? I try not to get really caught up in those stories about how it's so hard. I try to empower myself and I try to, you know, recognize that we are creating our reality every moment. So watch where you put your 
energy. Yeah, I would say, this, and you know, speaking of energy, while you're listening to your affirmations, <laughs> walk, move your body. So the average person loses about seven to eight percent of their muscle mass. The average active person loses about two percent. So we were talking earlier about this, like cells dying, you know, as we age. But movement is so important. When you're moving, you're telling your body, "I am alive." So your muscles were are where most of your mitochondria are, your powerhouse of your cells. So got to move your body every single day. That's so important for, you know, the self-care piece. And I've really discovered that so many things are self-care with that attitude. I had this revelation the other day. I've been practicing self-care and self-compassion for about a decade now, really powerfully. And I went to the dentist and I went to the doctor. I live on an island and I had to go into town and do these errands. And I treated it like self-care and it completely changed my experience. I'm in the dentist chair and I'm listening to music, sniffing my essential oils. And it was like a uh, it was a downtime. You know, I'm going to the doctor, really grateful that I have medical care and that I am healthy, that I'm taking care of my body. But it's so much of an attitude. And it's an attitude of like when you're on the airplane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first, if you can't take care of yourself, if you're not taking care of you, there's no energy to take care of anybody else. And you matter. Self-care is not selfish. It truly is self-preservation. Ellen, I love that. And I get the same vibe when I go to the dentist. I don't love all parts about it, but you know, you're being cared for. And you're getting a chance to take care of you and relax. So I think that's hysterical that you brought that up. But I want to talk about self-compassion because that's something that I've heard you talk a lot about, you know, on Facebook lives. And I think it's something that surprisingly a lot of people struggle with. So how do you guide, you know, your clients and, and your, your listeners to take those steps to find that compassion for themselves? And also, what do you think some of the common barriers are? Yeah, good question. So the first thing to know is that self-compassion is like a muscle. So it's a personality trait and it's also, you know, a construct. So just like we go to the gym to lift muscles and get stronger, we can build it. So wherever you're at in terms of your relationship with yourself and the compassion that you have for yourself, which is basically this desire to alleviate your own suffering and treat yourself like a good friend, you can build that. So that's the first thing. So wherever you are, it's something that is a work in progress. I used to have a fierce self-critic, incredible self-loathing, negative body image, you know, chronic dieter, super hard on myself, even though I have more degrees in a thermometer and very accomplished, but nothing ever felt good enough to me, that perfectionist workaholic stuff. Right. And now that I practice self-compassion, I've changed so much. I'm so much softer and easier with myself. And a lot of those things have really, all of them have pretty much dissipated. Some of them have gone away entirely. So it's something you can learn. That's the first thing. The second thing, the way I recommend starting, and you can do this exercise right now, imagine you have a good friend and imagine that she had some kind of difficulty in her life. So maybe a fender bender, or she's having trouble at work or maybe a health crisis, trouble with a spouse. Think about how do you treat her? What would you do if she called you and said, oh my God, I just had this diagnosis. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do or trouble with a spouse, whatever it is. And think about for a moment, how do you treat your friend? And now take a moment and think about that's just happened to you. You've gotten a difficult diagnosis from your doctor, maybe you've, you know, totaled your car, or you know, if you're having trouble at your work or you're having a fight with your spouse, how do you talk to yourself? And take a little time and mull that over. I think to me, when I do this exercise, I've probably done it hundreds of times in groups and teachings. People are like, oh my God, my friend, I would like go over and make her dinner and give her a hug and you know, bring over a glass of a bottle of wine and like be there for her to cry 
on. But myself, I'm like, oh, you're so stupid. Why did this happen to you? How could have you made all these mistakes? Either you're beating yourself up or you're going right into fix it mode. I've got to get this fixed out. I've got to figure all of this out. I've got to make this better. Instead of pausing and going, oh my God, this is really hard. Right. So wherever you are, the whole point of self-compassion is to treat yourself the way you would a good friend. And so what I have clients do is make a list and just make a list of these categories, body, mind, heart, spirit, and relationships. And think about how you would like to treat yourself or how you already do treat yourself. And then when you notice you're stressed or struggling, pull out your list and do something on the list. And so they're also just as a final piece to talk about self-compassion, there are three elements which can really help you understand self-compassion. And these were defined by Kristen Neff, who was my mentor. I was fortunate enough to study with her. She's kind of the big mother of self-compassion. Yeah, she absolutely is. And we'll yeah, have she's... some reference to, do you have a book of hers that you like that I we do, can put just, in the show the, notes? It's just shows? self-compassion. Yep. Happy to send okay. that to you. And I just let, I don't know when this is going to air. I'm also going to be doing a self-compassion challenge, which I'm super pumped about. But the first element is being kind to yourself rather than judgmental. So talking to yourself the way you would a good friend. And there's also this action component, this desire to alleviate suffering, to be kind. The second element is common humanity. So just knowing that we all go through stuff, right? We all are imperfect beings. And this is part of the human condition. You know, when the Buddha looked over the over the fence and he saw somebody dying, somebody getting old, I think somebody sick, he was like, oh my God, people suffer, right? Sometimes we think that it's just us. And I think one of the silver lines of COVID is that we're seeing that yeah. we're all going through really tough changes, big, small, all over the map. You don't feel so alone when you realize that it's just part of being human. And I think that's a piece too, when we were talking a little bit law of attraction, sometimes people think law of attraction means, well, I can never feel sad. I can never grieve. I can never be frustrated. And then we want to jump right into the feel good and reach right. for the joy and the happiness and the abundance, but we've got healing to do. And right. so we need to hold ourselves in this warm embrace. We need to know about this common humanity. And then there's that mindfulness piece, which in the context of self-compassion simply means that you're mindful. You notice when you're stressed and suffering. And rather than saying, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why is this happening to me? Or this shouldn't be happening or fixing it. You pause and you give yourself what you need. And maybe that's just making a cup of tea. Maybe that's just putting your hand on your heart. Maybe that's taking three deep breaths, whatever that is in the moment. You just be like, oh yeah, this is hard, but I'm here for me. And it will change your life. As my other mentor, Chris Burmer says, a moment of self-compassion will change your day. A string of those moments will truly change your life. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that and can totally see that. What do you say to those people? Because as a counselor, I see this a lot. Those people that, you know, are almost allergic to self-compassion, right? It's not just daunting, but, you know, sometimes it can be terrifying this idea of caring for me. What do you say to those people? That's such a good point. And it's really, really true. And I see a combination of, sometimes I'll see people who are perfectionists or sometimes I'll see, particularly I'm a dietitian, so I work a lot with people with eating disorders, disordered eating. When you go to somebody who has anorexia and you tell them, you got to let your self-critic go and embrace this thing called self-compassion. <laughs> they're like, I don't want to go there. I like my self-critic. She keeps me in line. So, you know, it's hard because when we're, we're talking to about like the trans theoretical model of change, sometimes people just aren't right. Ready, right. but to try to help someone understand. So what are your fears? What's in your worry box? 
when you think about self-compassion, what comes up for you and the biggest misconceptions about it that I get are, first of all, people think that they need their self-critic to motivate them to do better. And the research truly shows that when you criticize yourself, just like when someone else criticizes you, you generate cortisol, not oxytocin. Cortisol is the hormone of fight or flight. Right. It is that reptilian brain that really gives us those blinders and that, you know, it undermines motivation. It wears you out. It creates inflammation. It's the antithesis of healing. So you don't need your self-critic to heal. The second thing people are often concerned that, well, self-compassion is really weak. And so I'm like, no, compassion is not weak. Look at Mother Teresa. Look at Martin Luther King. Look at Gandhi. Look at the Dalai Lama. Right. Self-compassion can be fierce. You're advocating for yourself. I also would say too that a lot of women are really worried because they feel guilty when they don't put everyone else first. But then that goes back to that oxygen mask. If you get yourself sick, if you work yourself to death, you're not going to be of any use to anyone. And also, I guess the final thing to say is you deserve love and compassion, just like everybody else. And the more you practice self-compassion, the stronger your compassion for others get. You truly can't love someone else and have compassion for others unless you have compassion for yourself. And for me, my compassion for others, my clients, my family, humanity has grown so much because I understand my own suffering. And I want everybody to be able to have this incredible tool called self-compassion because if everybody treated themselves better, the world would just be such a groovier place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just such a huge point. You can't put it out. You can't put compassion or you can put compassion out there, but if you are not showing it to yourself, whatever you put out will be incomplete. Right. And just as you speak to one of your points, because I know intuition is like one of your healers, what you do, (laughs) you know, if you're not listening to your heart, if you're not listening to yourself, then you can't connect with your intuitive knowing if you aren't holding yourself. And as we sort of alluded to in the beginning, if you are doing the law of attraction as a self-improvement trip, you're never going to get to a place where you're happy. If you are doing the law of attraction, this truly place of knowing what makes you happy because you deeply know and love yourself, well, then you're going to get to a place that's going to be beyond your wildest expectations. I mean, I've just manifested a whole new chapter, which is more incredible than I could have ever imagined. And I never would have been able to dream it up because your mind can never conceive of what's next in the way that the universe wants to gift you. I love that. That is so beautifully said. Yeah, no, it's so absolutely true. And I love how you're making that connection between intuition and self-love because the more that we create that container of love and acceptance for ourselves, the easier it is for us to connect with our soul. And that's where intuition comes from. So it's it's beautiful. I never thought of it that way, but that's just so amazing. So switching gears just a little bit, the podcast is a spiritual podcast. It's about intuition. So I ask all of my guests, how does your intuition speak to you? Ah, when I listen to it, when I <laughs> okay. slow down and I listen, you know, I do hear that small quiet voice when I really do listen. It talks to me through my body. So I feel like, you know, emotions are your GPS device and emotions are felt experiences in the body. So whether that's a tightness in my heart, my tightness in my throat, my stomach. If I was thinking about, you know, this interview today, I was taking a walk and I live on a beautiful island and I'm walking by the water and I'm just feeling like life is good. Everything's all right. And I know when I have that feeling, I know I'm on the right path. And then my intuition also, you know, it it speaks to me in things in the world. I used to think I wasn't very spiritual 
because I don't hear voices. Angels don't appear to me. And for a lot of people, that's great. But I really feel that spirit shows up in a way that makes sense for you. And a lot of time, my intuition will show up in things in the real world, in nature. So for example, this morning, I saw a fox and an eagle. I've been seeing a lot of bald eagles, which is incredible nature sign. I collect tigers. So if I see a tiger, like I was watching a football game the other day and it was, I guess the tiger was their mascot. And I was like, oh my gosh, that shows up. I went to a store a couple of weeks ago and this humongous tiger poster. I've been to the store hundreds of times and never seen this. So spirit will talk to me through stuff, through things in the physical world. I also really like to connect with spirit through journaling, through meditating, through Oracle cards. I'm a huge Oracle card fan. I probably have like 30 decks. But the main thing is to do what works for you and to really slow down, get quiet and listen. And if you're not getting those intuitive hits, just ask spirit, like, show me. Like I've been doing this other thing where I'll just say to spirit, show me a sign. I'm doing some great stuff with Joe Dispenza and his meditation that he has. One of the things, aspects of the meditation is just today, if I've really connected with the divine, show up in some way that I know that's you. So I'll give one story. So I was with my uh, amazing new man. We were walking along the beach and it was Christmas day and we weren't into giving each other gifts and everything. And he collects hats. So he hats up on the beach, right? And so I looked down and the best used hat I had ever seen. It was in perfect shape. It was like the, you know, something surf shop, cool hat. It was like the universe, like here, here, blessing you. But we have to be open our senses and our eyes. But the universe so many times just blesses me with just amazing, funny, fun things that I know are truly signs. And you know, y'all can't see this because podcasting is an audio (laughs) medium, but your whole face is lit up right now when you talk about this, like you are just glowing. It's so beautiful. And I love that. And the reason I ask everyone that question too, is because, you know, spirit or intuition speaks to everyone differently. And that's as it's supposed to be. And sometimes, you know, people will come and they'll take my classes and they'll say, I want to hear it this way, or I want to see angels, or I want to know and converse with my guides. And I'm not saying that those things aren't possible. If you feel called, those things are absolutely possible, but your spirit is connecting with you every day. And so the best thing to do is just start to notice where it's happening already in your life. So I think that that's so beautiful. And then I'm going to share something else. And if you want me to cut this out, I am happy happy to do that later. But as you were talking, I had such an image of you. Actually, a couple of things came through. One, you have a lineage. You probably already know this in shamanism. And I don't know if you're drawn to shamanism at all, but I definitely saw that animal connection comes from at least one, but probably multiple past lives. But I was just given one of really where you are in a male body and really tied with the land. And you know, those spirit signs and those animal signs, as you probably know, are so integral to Native American culture which definitely was the vibe. And it may be around wherever you live now. So if you have moved to this area because you felt like a strong calling or connection there, it was because you wanted to reconnect with that. Oh, that's beautiful. No, don't need to cut it out. It's, All right, cool. There's a little more. I'm going to give oh, you a little ahead. more. And then, yeah. you know, <laughs> I always say because you didn't ask for it, but it's so strong. And you also have, as I believe your primary guide, do you believe in spirit guides? Have you ever been connected with your primary guide? I've never been connected with my primary guide. I'm moving in that direction. I sort of yeah. Think- so you have a male, well, you have a couple guides around you, my friend. There's a female energy too that I think you feel very comfortable with and you probably do 
converse and it may be a female energy that's like one of those named deities like Kuan Yin or Mary or something like that. And I'll let you keep that to yourself because I feel that energy around you as well. And that feels very comfortable to you. But you also have a male spirit guide who you walked with in other lifetimes when you were a Native American healer. And so I would just start to be aware that he's around because in your work, especially, it's so interesting that you do nutrition, you know, because so much of those ancient practices were around what you eat and herbs and using the earth. And so if you are feeling called to do just a teeny bit more of that in your work and in your life, that guide is here to support you in that. So yay. What a fun bonus. That's that's amazing. Yeah, this is a beautiful, really magical place. So it's interesting because I met Kenny who lives here 189 days ago. Who's counting? Oh, wow. It was a really powerful relationship. But my son went to camp Abenaki, which is one of the Indian tribes here in Vermont, literally a half a mile down the road. So I've been coming to this land since my son, who's now almost 20, since he was probably 12. So I visited this place for years and years and years and years. And then, you know, and I was driving up to Kenny's place for the first time, like the theme song of Gone with the Wind is going through my mind. Oh my gosh. It was like instant, just this is my home. Yeah. And this is where I love to be. And I love like every day getting to know the creatures. And so thank you for that. that yeah. Really and it was considered a very sacred place at some point, the island, the area, I can see it. And it was considered like very, very, very sacred. And it looks like you had a place that you were in the summer and a place that you were in the winter. And it was more of a summer home. So I don't know if that resonates at all <laughs> with yeah, you. No, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's funny because Bernie Sanders lives down the street. So oh, yeah. <laughs> as well. So it's got some magical. So it's got, so it's attracted it. a lot of uh, big thinkers. But just to bring full circle too, is that, you know, if you're at midlife and you're feeling wonky, first of all, get some help. You know, right. there's lots of us out there who are here to support you and notice your intuition and who you're drawn to, because when the student's ready, the teacher really does appear. 100%. Um, and now just using my own life as an example of when I had the courage to walk away from the relationship that wasn't working, you know, getting in that chrysalis phase, it wasn't great. I was in a rebound relationship. I lost my eyesight three times, COVID hit. But when you really love yourself truly, and you're coming from that law of attraction place from there, you truly attract something that's better than your wildest dreams that is so perfect for you. So you can at whatever age you are. And I get people too, in their you know, late 20s, early 30s who are really ready to make a switch. So you know, we're here to love our life and to be connected with our spirit. And so if you're not there, switch. If you know, that's our emotions are your GPS device. If you're not waking up joyful, if you're waking up tired, if you're starting to have some chronic health issues, well, that's your body speaking to that's your intuition saying you need to make some changes. And I think as a society, we need to make a lot of changes and on so many (laughs) different levels. So a lot of us are being woken up to, you know, really living our truth. And the more of us that do that, the more we empower each other to do the same. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Ellen, if people want to find you, get in touch with you, work with you, where do they go? Just Google the midlife whisperer or Dr. Ellen Albertson. I'll pop up all over the place. My Facebook group is Dr. Ellen's Mastermind. I'm super excited to start doing these 30-day challenges. I'm creating an app to do a 30-day self-compassion. I'm calling it Be Your Own BFF. So be your own best friend for life. And I'm super excited because I feel like self-love is really the crux of everything. So I'm super easy to find. And I'm so excited to share this podcast because this has been really, really fun. It has been. Thank you so much. So you got all that information, listeners. And I will also, as always, have it in the summary notes as well. Ellen, anything else? Any parting words for our listeners before we sign off? Just love and prioritize yourself and everything will unfold from that. I love it. I agree 100%. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation Podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.